0: So, this time we're really going to talk about Moonbreaker. Really, for real? Really, for we're real? We're not going to get sidetracked. We're not going to mention we'll talk about any like other. Doctor Who or whatever. Don't, don't mention I'm any not other say media it. properties. Okay. No other media rules. properties of any kind. No, none. They must remain unnamed okay. if you reference them because otherwise we will get distracted and we will not mm-hmm. talk about. Our video game
1: that we <laughs> the made, thing we worked on, yes, and are still working on, yes, and is awesome and we love it. But before that, yes, I understand that you have in store for us bad a bad story, story idea.
0: So I only got two words for you. We're gonna see, we're gonna see. My okay. last bad story, I didn't, didn't go very, very, very far. We've followed far from the heights of Cthulhu versus Vikings, but is that the heights?
1: Oh, that's definitely the heights. I got to say, it feels like our fan favorite bad story idea is seven layer burrito donut world.
0: Uh, No, no, no. I think the fan favorite has to be the Great British Fake Off.
1: Oh, well, yes, Yes. you're right. Yeah. I mean,
0: but the only one that actually became a book is (laughs) neither of those. But all right. All right. Magical fruit. Magical fruit. Magical fruit. Okay. So I was thinking about natural magical potions right? This whole idea of it's cool. One of the things I always am searching for in ideas is different ways to get access to magical talents, right? Aside from the two kind of standbys, which is you're born with them Mm -hmm. and you train really hard, which are both totally viable. I recommend using them as methods of getting the magic, but I always like something new, something different. I'm like, ooh, magical fruit where, you know, it has a built-in economy, Mm-hmm. because you grow these fruit trees and getting new fruit trees and things like that. And you'd have to have some like limit on how many of the trees you can grow or something like that to produce yeah. the fruit. So it's got a really cool economical side to it. Mm-hmm. That is, you also have to have like, Special environment, maybe to grow these trees. And then you have a limited number of uses of your powers, but it
1: regrows by nature. Okay, so right now, Mm -hmm. somebody's least favorite ant is screaming, herbalism is already a thing. Yes. There's already magical plants. How is your idea different? So how is the idea different? So usually herbalism
0: in uh, magical stories is Mm -hmm. used in very in a hand wavy way. There is someone who can go into the forest and pick specific herbs and they come back and they have them. Othellus. Yeah. I have not seen necessarily, magical herbs could be done the same way, where someone has a garden full of magic carrots that they just grow and then- use and maybe pickle and have ready or things like this right like it's this idea of we see this magical herb thing used a ton Mm -hmm. and then there's a part of the in the back of my brain it's like why aren't these mass produced and cultivated okay if you're in skyrim and you can go get this plant and this plant and they become a healing potion why are there not entire cities that all they do is grow these things, mm-hmm. right? Why are they out in the forest there? Those are valuable. You should not be able to pick any of those. And I like the economic situation. And there's like a built-in, when you say fruit, the reason I say fruit is there's like, if you just say magical herbs, you could definitely build a system around this that's that's very good. Yeah. But it gets very arcane- very quickly, arcane meaning you know, convoluted. Pun intended, convoluted, where it's like you have 70 different ingredients, and some of them have this shelf life, some of them are more potent when you dry them, some of them not, which can be very cool, but it's very difficult to track. If you yeah. say magical fruit and you're like, here are the seven fruits that we can grow, and sometimes we can make hybrids yeah. or things like that, the grok ability of that, the ability of the mm-hmm. reader just be like, oh, this is what they are and what they do, the shelf life of them is instantly understandable right? Maybe they gain potency until they rot, or maybe they lose it as they, you know, the fresher the fruit. Mm -hmm. Like you've got all these cool built-in mechanics that make
1: for good storytelling. So do the different fruits do specific and discrete things? Like the magical banana does a thing that the magical apple cannot and vice versa? Well, if
0: I'm writing it, then yes, obviously, because that's the way I
1: write magic things, Mm -hmm. but it's not
0: the only way to approach a magic system, right? It could be your roguelike where you don't know what's gonna happen when you eat a magic fruit. We're we're bringing them for potency, not for
1: dependability. So we just have a bunch of fruits Mm -hmm. that they give us powers. Mm -hmm. They're like gummy berry juice. Yes. Okay. Yes, thank you. There's very good. Uh, I mean, I did
0: relate potions to it, right? Mm-hmm. But n- yeah. natural potions.
1: Well, and I like the idea that methods of preparation. You know, yeah. which is getting back to the herbalism thing. But mm-hmm. still, if we're looking specifically at fruits rather than you know medicinal herbs okay. and stuff. The ability to dry something, the ability to pickle something, the ability to, you know, cook it into a syrup or a jam. These might all give different variations of the same right. basic power. Or you might or just completely want to say, change it. you know, yeah, it doesn't work very well if you do it that
0: way, yeah. which allows you to have this sort of shelf life. And then mm-hmm. you pickle it and it, that, they can be mass produced. And, it, you know, instead of healing you, just gives you a little bit of a caffeine boost essentially yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. So. so it has to be fresh. Yeah, I think it has to be fresh to be the best because then, again, it makes for good storytelling. I always talk about magic systems having limitations, making them more interesting. This is what I mean. If you have to be like, all right, I've got five of these on the tree. If I pick them, they'll immediately start losing potency. But I need to go on this trip. Do I take one of them? Risk that I'm going to need it, then not use it, and at the end, be down a fruit. Or do I not do it and then save them for later? Anytime the mm-hmm. characters have to make difficult decisions, that improves yeah. your storytelling. And every time they have to use resources wisely
1: and innovatively, it improves your storytelling. So what I am immediately thinking of now is all of the like magical deer running around in the forest. Yeah. Because I have a lot of deer that live in my neighborhood and they you know are constantly eating our tomato plants and stuff. And so, yeah, if eating this particular fruit mm-hmm. lets you fly, yep. then the forest would be full of flying deer, right? See, yes,
0: but this fly brings up monkeys. something really cool about the idea of cultivation. Mm-hmm. Have you seen
1: what original corn plants produced? Yes, or old, like, pre-cultivation watermelon. were yeah. Unrecognizable. Unrecognizable.
0: Like, if you haven't seen it, look it up for corn. It's, like, just a little tiny thing that has just the kernel's are just there's only a couple of them basically Mm -hmm. and you know looking at really old pre-cultivation like citrus fruits before there were even oranges you would cut them and the rind would be an inch or more thick yeah and the fruit was this little thing in the center i'd say the wild ones you know there's definitely some Mm -hmm. evolutionary advantages to learning to eat them and things like this but you would want to build the ecosystem so that that's an advantage to the fruit too which would be good. But also, you know, you're getting deer that can jump a little extra good. And then after hundreds of years or thousands of years of cultivation, we got these really potent ones. Where we can do incredible things with our blueberries that uh, the deer could never dream of. Another thing that makes herbalism magics, totally fine with them, but real world, that's what we did to corn. Mm -hmm. Like when you see what we did to corn and to citrus, you'd be like, oh, if you actually could make these Herbs do mm-hmm. whatever.
1: What would we have done to them in two thousand years? See, but then I also think that there's room in this system for mm-hmm. the concept of like the heirloom tomato, mm-hmm. right? That the mass produced stuff is bigger and juicier and brighter colors, etc., but you're gonna find stronger flavors yes. in some of these older cultivars. Which is true. It depends on what they're breeding for, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the reason you're getting the fruit
0: today, why we get some bad fruit, is they have to be bred for portability and for ease of eating. My favorite grape is a Concord. Love Concord grapes. You can't buy them in Utah. I've not been able to find a place. Yeah. Why? You because basically have to grow them yourself. You can't eat the rind, and they have seeds in them. They taste divine. They taste like grape juice. They're really good. I mean, they're wine grapes, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't buy them. Because market pressures are for big, juicy grapes with edible rinds and no seeds, Mm -hmm. which has led to really bad flavor for grapes, in my opinion. I don't like most grapes you can buy in the store. I would much rather have one with some flavor. So you can still get them. Mm -hmm. They've just, the market pressures have misaligned with flavor. Yes. This happened with the Red Delicious until kind of the apple revolution happened in the 90s or whatever, where people Mm -hmm. are like tired of apples tasting bad yeah and now we have like thirty varieties of good tasting apple because people realized a beautiful, perfect
1: apple for the teacher's desk yeah well, and is and, not and let's be necessary. clear to the person who wants to call us out on this, yeah, those other varieties of apple have always been there, yes. they just were rarely available right in mass production, whereas yeah, think, now yeah. any grocery store will have galas in it. Yes. so okay. well, this doesn't feel like a bad story idea. This feels like a very fascinating story I failed again, again then. Yeah, last one was on the edge of too bad,
0: where it's just like there's nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. This one's on the edge of this is actually viable. Well, Stop. yeah, giving me
1: bad story ideas that this, work, Brandon. This is this is a viable idea. It is not yet a story. It yes. has no characters. It has nope. no conflict. It has no nothing. It's just the seed of a magic system that would totally work if we spent some time on it. But we're not gonna spend time on it. Seed of a magic system. Seed of a magic system. Uh, well, fruits have seeds. Uh, uh, there you go. We're talking about Moon doesn't
0: Christmas? have seeds. Cinder. Cinder.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, we got to be careful because Charlie doesn't want us to spoil too much.
1: Yes, we don't want to spoil the story, and we don't want to, and in fact, are not allowed to talk about the inner workings of the company. Like I know because I was in a big meeting yesterday. I know like, a lot of the things that are being done, the game's in early access right now, yep. and there's a lot of changes going on behind the scenes. We will not be talking about that. Instead, we will be talking about the experience of working on a video game. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. So Moonbreaker is a video game that is produced by Unknown Worlds. It's a company right. that did Subnautica. Yep. And you came to them actually through J.J. Abrams, correct? Through J.J.'s company, yeah. Yeah, and how long ago was this? So... The
0: time I met all these people, JJ was cutting the trailer for the Cloverfield Lane movie.
1: Oh, that's a long time ago. So, when did the Cloverfield
0: Lane movie come out? It'd probably be about a year before that when a mutual friend was working on a video game with them. It's been announced, it's called Spy Jinx. So, and my friend said, This is Donald said, Hey, we could really use some help just pulling together some of the concepts for narrative for our game. Could I get you to come out to Bad Robot and hang out for a little bit and do Mm -hmm. some brainstorming? This was my second time out to Bad Robot. I'd made it earlier for various reasons. 2015. 2015. Yeah. Seven years ago. So I go out there, and this is my first time meeting the Bad Robot Games Division. They have a games division. Okay. Before that, I'd been meeting with people there. I got to meet and chat with JJ a number of times. I was really impressed by him and did these meetings. He showed me the trailer for 7 Cloverfield Lane or whatever it 17. is. 17... I don't know. It's a really good movie it is, right up until the last a, five minutes. 10 Clover Lane. is a, a great movie. and But we had a, two days, I think, of just big meetings on the story for this other thing. And I met the whole Bad Robot Games team. Okay. Right? And so years later, this is probably three years after that, because I started work on this before the pandemic hit. So it's 2018 or 2019. Mm-hmm. So Bad Robot Games had this cool thing they're doing subnautica's creator charlie cleveland had a new game concept and had come to them for some help with it and charlie specifically said to them what i'd really like help on is narrative and they're like hey we know a guy who likes video games thus you were pulled in yes thus they came to me Mm -hmm. one of three companies that came to me that same year for whatever reason wow we did meetings with two of them I took pitches from all three, or kind of what they wanted to do, but I did some serious meetings with two of them and eventually picked this one, mostly off the strength of some mm-hmm. The number one thing I didn't want to have happen is I have had friends work in video games before and the video game never get released. Yeah. It's happened to multiples of my friends. Happened to Isaac, who was in really? video games before. Oh, yeah. He hair. and Ben both worked at a video game yep. company, huh? And so I thought this one, like... The other ones were a big corporate structures where I got the feeling they were still trying to pitch their game to the higher ups. And they would come to me to add some legitimacy Mm -hmm. to convince the higher ups that this is a game we should make. Yeah. Where Charlie was just already making his game and it was going to happen. And I'm like, I want to be involved in this. I know Subnautica is really good. And I know this game's going to happen. Yeah. So it felt like a good place to dabble my toes, dabble my toes, to dip my toes. Dip your toes.
1: Back into the video game industry. Okay. So I said, yes. Cool. And then you have spent the last few years then basically doing the world building and the story Bible. Yes. For World Moon building Breaker. and story Bible. Using an
0: idea I'd had kicking around for years that I pitched to them and then built off of mm-hmm. that I'd called Soulburner. Yeah.
1: And if anyone out there doesn't know, I mean, the game is available in early access and there's a yeah. lot of stuff that you can just go out and, and find. But if you're completely unfamiliar, kind of the basic premise of the world is that there is a sun with an atmosphere, yes. and there are moons circling it, and people can fly between those moons, yeah. uh, you know, in open top ships or on the back of creatures, and so on and so on. This was one of my
0: big concepts for it. Is I wanted this. One thing I love about science fantasy, which is mm-hmm. things like Dune and Star Wars, is this variety of tech level yeah. that you can get. Right. One of the fun things about Star Wars is you're fighting, and these guys pull out a laser sword. And you're like, oh, I guess we're in melee combat now, right? Or these guys over here are riding on these weird beasties while firing their blasters. Yeah. That's fun. How realistic is it? Well, probably not that (laughs) realistic, right? But at the same time, it's a whole lot of fun. It's a great setting
1: for an adventure game. It's fun. It gives a nice either Wild West feel or yeah. Age of Sail feel to it. Yep. Same reason that, you know, Spelljammers does very similar things with the open top ships flying through space. I loved Spelljammer when I was a kid. I heard they just brought it back yeah, to Yeah, they just brought it back out. Uh, it was my favorite setting. Mm-hmm.
0: In fact, one of the very early D&D games I did... Oh, we're mentioning another property. And, uh, early games oh, with role-playing... Of a role-playing Kate thing. ...thing that had... Space science ships and yeah. fantasy world starred Hoyt as my NPC character to annoy the PCs as I was GM. <laughs> By then, I had written the first story that had him in it, and I uh-huh. threw him in to be the person that just bothered them, that
1: bugged everyone, the
0: entire campaign,
1: the King's wit up yes. in everyone's business. Yep, all through it, and it was so much
0: fun. It was <laughs> for everyone or for you, for me. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jordo.
1: Jordo had to deal with wit. Oh, well. Yep, quite a bit. Okay. So, yeah, and skipping ahead a little in the story, mm-hmm. eventually it came time after you had created not only this huge world, but uh-huh. this immense backlog of characters for it. The game is kind of based around captains mm-hmm. who have a crew and they fight. It's a miniatures combat game. Yep. And you had- And I don't know if we're supposed to say how many, but you developed a number of these captains. Yes. And very involved and detailed story outlines for each of them.
0: Yes. And the plan had always been to get somebody else to write the actual Mm -hmm. audio dramas, which is how I had pitched that we get these stories to people. I was expecting it to be somebody at... Unknown Worlds, which is like, mm-hmm. I assume you'll have a staff writer. Like, we don't have those. <laughs> and so we went to Bad Robot. And by then, they were kind of backing off on development with it. They had other projects and things. And so they're like, "Yeah," And I'm like, OK, I'm going to find you somebody. I know people who write really great stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Dan- and all of them said no- you came to me. Dan had been doing a whole bunch of
1: audio originals. And so I pitched you to Charlie for that reason and your game writing background. I've written for a lot of games and my zero G books. Mm -hmm. The third one I think had just come out when you first approached me about this. And all three of those have been, you know, top 10 audible bestsellers, And those are audio science fiction scripts with full cast and music and sound effects, which is really kind of what they're Mm -hmm. trying to do with Moonbreaker. Reading through your notes, it looks like the game went through a lot of iterations. It did. And at various points, there was, you know, plans for maybe a single-player campaign and some other things, maybe.
0: They talked about this. It eventually morphed into what we have as the cargo run. But this was one of the biggest development sort of... I won't say problems, just hurdles to overcome, Mm -hmm. is how to get the story to people. I had originally pitched, hey, there's these audio dramas. People should listen to them while they paint. And then for a long time, they were trying to slice them up and have you unlock them as you went through either single player campaigns or cargo Run. You finish cargo Run, you get one of these things. Yeah, Um, almost as if they were cut scenes. Yeah, for the longest time, they were cut scenes where it's like you finish this planet, you know, this battle, and then you get one of these things. And I was always against this because Mm -hmm. having played a lot of video games, I feel like I want to be in control of when I mode shift between playing a game and reading about lore, right? Yeah. And I'll do it. Skyrim, you know, there's times where I'm like, all right, I got my six books that I've collected that I haven't read. They're on the shelf here. I'm going to now read the Skyrim books and things Mm -hmm. because I went through that dungeon and I'm kind of tired of that. What I don't want people to do is be like, we did one part of a story. The next part of the story is audio drama. So if you don't listen to that, When you push play to the next part of the story, you're going to be lost. So you're forced to go out of gameplay. I think people would just resent the stories at that point.
1: Mm -hmm. And And they did not go
0: that route. Yes, I pushed hard against that, and they did not go that route. For a while, it was still, you're going to play one story and unlock a different one. And eventually, they just said, you know what? Maybe Brandon's original idea of, here's an audio drama. (laughs) Listen to it to get to know who the captains are while you're painting. Mm -hmm. And you can play whenever you want. And you can audio drama whenever you want is the right way. And I'm very happy. Well, and that's that's what what they're
1: doing now. And Mm -hmm. it's not a model I've ever seen in a game before. In which the story is completely related to the game, Mm -hmm. but not embedded in the game. In fact, you can listen to the first episode right now just on like spotify and stuff yes any podcast aggregator should have it you know my pitch for these is basically like though the
0: overwatch character introductions or the old ones from team fortress 2 and those were only like three minutes long for the team fortress ones or even Mm -hmm. not even that long but that was my model for these is like let's write an actual story rather than a sketch for Team Fortress, I and mean, if you've watched these, it's like Meet the Engineer, things like that. They were very funny, very mm-hmm. well written, very yeah. charming. Let's have instead this audio drama where you just really get to know the character that is one of your potential captains, and over time you will get dramas that show all of them, so that
1: you'll know who they all are when you're playing them. Yeah. So when I came in, mm-hmm. you know, the game was still in a little bit of flux, mm-hmm. and that is still ongoing because they're still in early access. But one thing that we eventually, that I should say they eventually settled into yeah. was the idea of four-month seasons. Mm-hmm. The game launches with three captains and a bunch of crew. Yep. And then every four months, we will get a new captain and a bunch of new crew. Yeah. And so part of what I got to do, I am essentially the showrunner yes. for Moonbreaker. Yeah. I am not involved with game design, although I have you know, consulted with Charlie occasionally on some powers and things like that. I am in charge of the story, and I have really loved how much leash I get from them. Basically, anything I want to do, I can do, provided that there's time in the schedule for it. So I am following your outlines, Uh and I am writing these stories. And the schedule, as for now, is that in every four-month season, we will get three half-hour episodes, which Uh is approximately every six weeks a new episode comes out. And that is intended to go for perpetuity, for the life of the game. Yep. And so, like, the first episode that's already available right now is Extilior. He's one of the Mm -hmm. captains. He's a robot. And then, you know, each one is going to come out. Yep. I have just turned in and had a big meeting with Charlie yesterday about episode four, Mm -hmm. which is episode, you know, season 2.1. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, It's a lot of fun. This is a very cool way to do it. I hope that people enjoy it.
0: Because this part of aspect of it was my idea. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot to do with the gameplay either. Only saying I'm buying in because I like this style of game. And the painting aspect is really fun and well done. I'm glad that it turned out fun and well done. I didn't know at the time. Yeah, but yeah so
1: because it, mm-hmm. we've mentioned the painting, we haven't explained mm-hmm. it. It's a miniatures combat game Yes, where you get this little digital model Yep, and then you can paint it exactly as if you were you know, painting Warhammer or War mm-hmm. Machine figures or something like that, which is absolutely what got me excited about the game yeah. as well. And the painting system is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is fun and feels like you're really painting. Yeah, you have some very good tools for it. Yeah, so you can play this and you can listen to the story. The story is long. This game will have to run for ten years in Are order you for surprised? me to You're cover all me. of this stuff in your outline. So I can tell you part of why that happened, right?
0: So as I was digging into these characters, we were in flux about what we were doing. At one point, each of them would had a campaign was part mm-hmm. of the plan, right? And, you know, we backed off from that. And the cargo run, Charlie came up with the cargo run. I remember him first telling me this. He's like, what if instead of a campaign, we did like a Slay the Spire style, procedurally generated fun thing. And I'm like, do that. Go there. That's our solution, right? Mm -hmm. But at one point, I had all of these character stories, and I wanted each of them to be a slightly different subgenre right? Because you don't want to have 10 stories that are all the same. And so some are digging more into horror aspects. Some are digging more into adventure aspects. Some a little more into romance, mystery. I had a big kind of theme and why they each work and things like that. But as I was doing that, I'm like, I need some foundational backstory for all these characters and how, you know, how they got to these point where these things are happening. And so then I built this whole document of, here is the backstory where all these characters, you know, because mm-hmm. lots of them are interrelated and interconnected. Here's how they met. And then that became the season that you're doing, is there's two general ways that they all kind of ran yeah. into well, each other. Well, we're not
1: following your seasons. No, no, I understand you're not. Yeah.
0: I totally understand you're not following mm-hmm. my seasons, but... I came up with these two basic ideas of the backstories. Yeah. And, you know, my season one was one group of them and my season two was another group of them. That's a different thing, but the way we're starting is how these characters all interacted. And then we have room for these solo ones about them. That yeah. I don't
1: know how we'll end up doing that. Well, and, and that's definitely the evolutionary ancestry of yeah. what I'm doing right now. Yeah. So for example, season one, Three episodes, one Mm -hmm. for each captain that's part of that season. Mm -hmm. Season two, we get one new captain. Yep. And she gets an episode. Mm -hmm. And then that gives me two more episodes to continue the stories of the other ones, Mm -hmm. to bring them together occasionally, watch them bounce off of each other. Yeah. And it's been a very tricky, but very rewarding kind of balancing act Mm -hmm. to- Introduce these people while not losing track of the other people, while trying to tell this big, long story. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to get into like the Game of Thrones and Rings of Power thing where every storyline gets five minutes per episode because there's so many of them. Yeah. I'm not doing that, but it's a lot of fun. It's a fun world, and the characters are cool, and I am having a lot of very interesting conversations with the people because they are incredibly talented. They are incredibly good at what they do. The voice actors. No, with the the game designers, okay. the makers, mm-hmm. the artists, everything. They are not storytellers. They aren't. Which and is so why they came. And so there's to a us. lot of things about mm-hmm. the game that I don't understand at all, mm-hmm. and I get to ask them, please fill me in on how this works. And there's a lot of things about kind of fundamental storytelling that they don't know yet because they've been you know, specializing in other things and I get mm-hmm. to kind of say, well, here, this is how this works and this is a good way to you know, bring this in. Even simple questions like certain terms of vocabulary that are important world-building things, we can't just dump them all on you in episode one. Mm-hmm. We need to kind of drip them out in a way that is understandable to the audience while also laying the foundation that we need. How early do we reveal certain things? How late do we want them to show up? It's a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun.
0: Are you enjoying, like, having been a (laughs) long-time gamer, just that aspect of it? Like, for me, part of the fun is peeling back that curtain, looking behind the curtain, seeing an industry that is so similar to ours in some ways and so different in other ways, right? And it is really, anytime I do things with the video game industry, it feels like bizarro world for me, because the writing industry, like I said, it's like Uncanny Valley. There's mm-hmm. so many things that are so similar, but then you find out that they, you know, have 60 people working on this one part of the project. You're like, yeah,
1: oh, like, right. Oh, that's yeah. wild. It has been really wonderful for me to look at the character development process. Yeah. So Charlie is the designer and he's the one who gives them their powers. Yep. The visual look comes from. Uh, a guy named JF and mm. his whole team of artists that come up with just phenomenal concept art. And then we slowly kind of hone that into... The art in this game is the best part of that. And I say that as a person who works on the game doing something that isn't art. The art's incredible. They do have an in-house writer who is not a storyteller. Yeah. Her name is Marielle. And she is the one who like does the barks and stuff. You know, When barks you click when, on a unit yeah. and mm-hmm. it says something... The marks have been great. They've done a really good job with this. She is so smart, and she is so good at characterization. Mm -hmm. She can look at the concept art for something and the basic premise of what their powers are and give it a personality and come up with like seven or eight little things for it to say that instantly crystallize who this person is. And honestly, working with her and seeing how she does all of that is giving me so many ideas of oh, I could, I could totally use a process similar to this when I'm writing novels to help characterize people you know, more clearly. So it has been really interesting to see behind that curtain and see how they do what they're doing. So,
0: I have enormous respect for these groups mm-hmm. looking behind and saying, how many pieces have to be working in collaboration to make this all work? Yeah, It was really interesting. Like one of my concerns when I first was invited to do this, and I, I said this to Charlie, I looked at him and I said, I have never collaborated like you guys have, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, I wouldn't call it a weakness for me because I don't know yet. I'm hoping that it won't be one, but you've got to be aware. Most of my work is done in my room by myself. Yeah, And even though I have a company, the company, like I hand something off that's finished and then they do their thing with it. They're not involved very much in mm-hmm. the the middle parts of it. And so I said to him, you know, that's a concern of mine. But they made it really easy. They were really easy to work with. They've been Some, very easy to work with. Sometimes too easy to work with because oftentimes you'll be like, we could do this or this with the narrative.
1: And they're like, those both sound great. And yeah. I don't know how much you get that, but I get oh, that all, all the, time. the time. Getting them to give me limitations yeah. is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually watch. they're like yeah that sounds awesome let's let's try it right up until the point where you know i suggested something a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and everyone was like yeah this sounds awesome and then it turned out to be untenable mm-hmm. because there just wasn't time in the schedule and other things were happening mm-hmm. and so yeah they're willing to go along with any crazy ideas we have yep right up until the point where those ideas are obviously impossible mm-hmm. but yeah getting them to say yes this is the deadline You have to turn this in by this day. Yeah. It's very hard. They Um. seemed surprised when I met my deadlines consistently.
0: (laughs) I'll say that. That's the thing about the video game industry is because there's so many moving pieces and so much going on and so Mm -hmm. much work to do and so many domino effects and things. I think that they're used to things popping up that make it harder to meet deadlines, which leads a lot of time to, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, crunch in the industry, which is a big problem they have. But I just kind of turned in my stuff every week, and they seemed a little surprised. that They just,
1: every week, they got it. What? What's going on? Yeah, My favorite thing working with this company Uh is, like we said, they're willing to go along with crazy ideas. Uh Charlie is 110% ready for really interesting crossovers between the gameplay and the storytelling. Yes. And, you know, nothing that I can talk about yet, but, you know, the ability to have the game and the characters really be alive... Yeah, and to change over time because mm-hmm. of things that happen in the story. And then seeing those changes from the story reflected with the game pieces and with the maps and things like that. That's one of the um, things I'm most excited by. Yeah. I really hope we get to the point where you can also
0: modify your game pieces a little bit or you can like stick things on them and whatnot. I know Charlie said on the stream yeah. that he did. That's a number one request that he gets from fans. He doesn't know if they'll be able to do it, but mm-hmm. he did say that they're aware of yeah. that. I'm super hoping that we get to the point
1: where you can be like, I'm going to cut up this piece and glue it back together. Yeah, which would be mm-hmm. so cool. And, you know, again, as part of the whole miniatures experience. Yep, We had, he and I together, this absolutely crazy idea for season two uh-huh. of something that we wanted to Ooh, do. You'll
0: have to tell me because I wasn't on this meeting we, we, yesterday. We,
1: it's one of the ideas that is not going to be able to work because the timing has not worked out for it. But... It is the kind of idea that everyone is excited about and in future seasons will be happening. Right. I've had that before. You have this great idea and you're like, this is the wrong time, but. Which again is part of working with a collaborative industry like this, Mm -hmm. where everyone says, yes, that's a great idea, but we don't have the budget or the hours or the, you know right now it's, we're right in the middle of early access and we're Mm -hmm. doing a thousand other things and there's no time to implement this crazy thing, even though everybody loves it. So yeah, we'll see it's going to be a lot of fun to work on going forward and i hope that you out there enjoy the story as much as brandon and i do because yeah. it has been so much fun so go get a copy moonbreaker start painting your pieces and
0: listen to our stories how's that ben <laughs>